Good afternoon, and welcome to today's employer advisory session. So we've been at this for about a year now, and we really want to know how is your mental health and well-being? My name is Julie Vogus, and I am one of the regional managing directors with our HR consulting practice here at One Digital. I'm joined by Shira Walensky, who heads up our health and well-being practice, and we each bring a unique perspective to this conversation and look forward to sharing it with you today. So by way of introduction, I've been around HR for more than 25 years, and I've seen the slow and sometimes painful evolution of the mental health discussion in the workplace. My interest in supporting the people side of the business is what initially brought me to HR as a professional. So I'm, it, it's somewhat refreshing for me to see leaders finally embracing this discussion. Shira, I know, brings her own lens, and I'll let her introduce herself. Thank you, Julie. Hi, everyone. Yes, I think we have seen a explosive evolution of the importance of total well-being as it relates to the workplace, both from a people perspective and a productivity perspective. We really have had the opportunity to take wellness out of the corner and position it as a front and center strategy and solution, both to care for your people and to take care of your business. This series of advisory sessions has really been a response to a rapidly changing economic environment, health environment, and certainly a business environment where both leaders from an HR perspective and a business perspective have been forced to take unprecedented action to protect employees and their organization. I think the luxury of deliberating, um, thinking strategically, long-term plans really has vanished overnight. We have seen employers looking to take immediate action to bring instant relief to employees who are truly struggling and suffering and looking at these business decisions really is key to their business survival. Mm -hmm. Today we're going to focus on big picture insights, trends, and also make sure that we have an opportunity to get to some discussion and answer some questions. Keep in mind if any of your questions are relevant to the state level, it might be best to talk directly to your one digital consultant because these regulations vary by state and things are changing very quickly. All right, let's get started. All right. So typically, I would start with a business case and look for the opportunity to justify the relevance and the importance of total well-being, including mental health. But is that really necessary? I, I feel like we are in a position of employers looking at this as an opportunity to do well as a business by doing good for their people and their communities. And I'm not sure that it's critical, but for those of you that have to take what you hear today back to your executive team, here are the stats. We know that from a claims perspective, there's been a 108% increase in the last decade. And in addition to direct costs to the health plan through medical claims and through pharmacy claims, we know that there are indirect costs that are also quantifiable and measurable as well. And that relates to things like 
presenteeism, absenteeism, people burnt out at work. Um, so they're less productive, making costly mistakes, um, losing key talent. And we also know that if you're continuing to put off getting care for mental health, there is an increase in your medical spend by 300%. Wow. 70% of people are not getting the effective care that they need. And according to one of our partners, Ginger, they did a report on attitudes towards mental health since COVID. And we know that two thirds of employees are missing at least an hour or more of work per day. And that 90% of employees are looking at mental health as a key benefit when they're looking at a new job opportunity. So there you have it, if you need it, the business case for, for our discussion today. Yeah, that's amazing. The stats are very mind-blowing. There's no, there's no question looking back on 2020 that this really was kind of a special year, um, a challenge for employers and an unsettling year from the human perspective. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to believe it's been a whole year since this all started. And as much as though, you know, we're hoping for a little bit of normalcy, I don't see this going back to baseline anytime soon. So while we do have the benefit of looking back, we've got this new data rolling in every day. So we can really start to look and really understand the impact of COVID. So the data tells the story for sure, but what are people really saying? So Sure, tell me a little bit more about what you're hearing. So a couple things. I do think that according to the Mental Health Index, there, there was definitely a bit of a renewed sense of optimism with the new year. There could be a lot of reasons for that. Just the context of being a new year and a new beginning, I think that's kind of conditioned for all of us to, to want to think about a fresh start and, and certainly being hopeful from that perspective. Certainly political changes as well had an impact, I think, on perspective for some folks. But we know that while there has been a tremendous increase in prevalence of mental health conditions, we haven't seen a tremendous increase in utilization from the most traditional employer-sponsored resource, which is the EAP. So, we typically see single digit, low single digit mm -hmm. utilization percentages for traditional employee assistance program. And we really haven't seen those increase very much at all. Um, definitely not even close to correlating with the increase that we've seen in instances of employees needing help and support. I've seen some numbers as low as one to two percent on the EAP utilization, which is which is staggering. So we know this is a global problem. Um, that you know how we've shifted to sort of that whole idea of the pandemic, and looking across age, race, gender, education, obviously the geographical piece, um, and how individuals are looking for help. So and there's some noticeable differences here. So if you just look at age. Older people might be more susceptible to the disease itself, but younger people are actually more impacted by the effects of the social distancing. Um, tons of studies and surveys are out there right now, and they are consistently showing us that young people, rather than that older generation, are most vulnerable to this increased level of psychological distress. Um, 
that social interaction, it's much stronger. So, you know, let's look a little bit more at the hidden costs. Um, so Shira, maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think that it is, again, I, I want to make sure to, to point out, this is not a new problem, right? We know that mental health and the impact on both human lives as well as the workplace predated COVID. It's, it's something that has been brought to the forefront and it has become beyond just sort of a, a nice to have to being really an expectation and a critical component to survival. And I think that, um, you know, whether we're looking at the presence of symptoms in the form of anxiety or depression, looking at it from a demographics aspect, um, we know that from a diversity perspective, it is impacting the way people are struggling. It's impacting the stressors that are kind of driving the um, inability to cope and also access to care and the likelihood that, that folks are going to get the help that they need. Um, certainly from a social connectivity perspective, I think that it is really something that folks are at a point where they're looking at it, they're, they're actually using mental health as the reason for maybe making some decisions that from a physical health perspective might not be advisable, but um, making these choices in the name of, of their mental health because it, everybody is recognizing the, the impact of being disconnected from your support system, whether that be your coworkers, your community, um, or just your friends and where you live, work, and play. And you made a good point in, in talking about the fact that this has been a problem for decades and probably, you know, you know, centuries, but I think wellness has evolved. It's sort of matured. So I think we used to sort of talk about wellness as more of a transactional, you know, do you have a membership to the gym um, kind of thing in the workplace? And it was a it was secondary program, really. And I think what we're seeing now is this is really emerging as something, you know, well-being. It's looking at that that whole human experience with that employee piece being a part of that experience. So that kind of leads me down another path too and thinking about really how permanent this is. So I know we're all ready for this to really come to an end, um, but understanding that this is probably gonna be part of the fabric as we're moving forward. So questions like, you know, and some questions in fact that we don't wanna ask, but what if COVID comes back stronger? What if the vaccine isn't as effective as we hope it's going to be? And not to be too bleak here, but to recognize that I think in a lot of cases, the way we live has probably been changed forever. I tell you, a lot of Zooms, um, but after a long day last week Zooming, I think I joked about the fact that the hardest hit areas were going to be lipstick sales, breath mints, and commercial real estate. So if I actually put on my HR hat for a minute, I would argue that we are seeing some of the ways that COVID will endure. So the ripple effect, and we know it's gonna be far reaching on employers and the workplace, the physical aspects, working from home has created a permanent shift in our thinking. 
throwing in their online shopping, travel, homeschool. Um, that's all different. And so kids aren't going to get snow days anymore, Julie. I, I, I think about that. You or do if you're in Texas. <laughs> for folks down south, right? they're not going to get hurricane days anymore. It's going to be... Growing up in Canada, we never had a snow day. So, I, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different reality for me. But um, so layering on top of this, some of those stats that you shared, you know, what do you see as the key areas that employers really need to be focused on long term? So I, one aspect I think is, is going to be diversifying your health and well-being program and strategies, right? I think that just a compilation of more awareness regarding diversity in the workplace, along with some of the impact that we have seen from the pandemic, it is so important to look at your workforce from an individual, unique person perspective. And that means that people are experiencing the results of the pandemic differently. They have different aspects of their life that are causing stress. Well-being means something different to, to different people. And if you look at it across the spectrum and all of the different components of total well-being, obviously mental health being a critical aspect that weaves through the whole the whole thing. Um, we have to be able to give employees choice. I think we have to look at and recognize we don't know everything there is to know in terms of what our employees are faced with. Although many of us have gotten a glimpse into what that looks like outside of the workplace. And so I think offering a variety of benefits, resources, and support, and um, giving employees choice, we've seen really a lot of advancements in the way that wellness programs are being positioned, where it's almost a custom program based off of offering employees a stipend to choose which resources are beneficial and meaningful to them. Um, when you look at some of the ways that employees are struggling as it relates to taking care of children, taking care of mm -hmm. older parents, um, managing homeschooling, and some of the social issues that have bubbled up, and employers are looking to address urgently, I think um, it, is, it is important that, that we look at offering diverse choices to match the diversity of our, of our people. And I think it's worth noting, too, that, you know, while, yes, there are some great resources out there and we need to recognize what those stressors are and figure out how to manage those, we need to realize that we can't fix everything. So, it, you know, and that, that's kind of a, you know, there's, there's lots of stressors. Um, the physical, financial, you mentioned community, job, environment, family, and the, the list goes on. But, you know, understanding whose responsibility is it and how, how does that work between the employee and the employer and that, that really critical individual um, perspective that you mentioned. What other, what other big rocks are you seeing in terms of stressors? I want to go back to one other thing that you said, just thinking about the audience that we have today and the commonality and the nature of the people that take care of 
their employer families, um, the bleeding heart type, if you will, the reason that you probably wake up every day, the sense of purpose and passion that you feel for what you do in terms of taking care of the people side, Mm -hmm. you cannot fix everything. And I think it is important to recognize that there is so much to look at when we talk about some of the impacts and there really is only so much you can do from an employer perspective, right? Um, So I just, whatever it is that you're already doing, give yourself some credit because it is tough. It's tough from an employer perspective. It's tough from an HR perspective. You think about managers and they're trying to take care of their job, their roles, their responsibilities, their goals, as well as worry about their people. And it's a lot. Um, So to focus on what you can do, I think one of the the biggest opportunities for impact is look at all of the things you already have in place. Um, Look at the benefits and resources that you're already offering to your employees. Things like matching for your 401k, a um, matching gift program for donations, volunteering opportunities, tuition reimbursement, student loan payback, um, telehealth, telemedicine. Right now, the student loan pieces. Yes. Yep. Telemedicine through your carrier, um, chronic condition management programs, medication adherence, all of the resources, things that you're already doing that often get lost in open, open enrollment. How can you package and position some of these things in the context of well-being for your employees? And if you think you've already told them or you've told them too many times, tell them again. Um, tell them in a different way. Tell them in a way that focuses not on the benefits guide, but on your people and um, make it easy for them. Help alleviate some of the barriers to accessing some of these services. I think that's, that's a huge opportunity. If you don't know where to start, I would take inventory. Look at all of the different components of well-being from physical health, mental health, financial well-being, your community resources, and supporting employees from a career and purpose perspective. Look at all of the things you're already doing. You may identify that there are some gaps. There are some areas where you may not have as much support or you may not have as many resources, and that might help give you an idea of where to start. The other opportunity certainly is to ask employees. And while surveys are great, Mm -hmm. We are also in a world of not just Zoom fatigue, but also survey fatigue in a lot of cases. So don't get so caught up in having to send out a survey and gather the responses and put the results together in a pretty perfect graph. Um, But talk to your people and encourage your managers to talk to their people to find out what is it really that they are struggling with the most to see where there might be opportunities to to offer some additional support. And and I'm going to tag off of that a little bit too, because really one of the shifts that we're seeing in the workplace right now 
is the shifting role and responsibility of these managers and supervisors. We're asking them to, to step up and train people. We're asking them to recognize symptoms and, and have really difficult conversations with people who are at risk. So I think even moving forward, in addition to being able to manage a remote workforce and, and monitor, and I think it's more a little bit of monitoring outcomes as opposed to output. So yeah. again, I think there's sort of a shifting, um, you know, dynamic here that that we're really going to see play out in the in the years to come. It's going to be kind of fascinating, but. So if we do take a deep dive, let's, yeah. let's talk about mental health in the workplace a little bit more. So what are employers seeing? So what symptoms are actually being reported and what should employers be looking for? So in a lot of cases, and many of you may have heard us talk about this before, but I think in a world where one of the biggest barriers to getting help from a mental health perspective was people being afraid to ask. And what we are seeing is we are in a world where it is okay to not be okay. Right. And the next step then is to encourage folks to recognize that it's okay to ask for help. And in a lot of cases, I think we're far past that. I think that employees are asking for help. They want help. They need help. They are exhausted. They're burnt out. They're overwhelmed. Um, they're grieving, both from an existential perspective and maybe from personal loss. Um, I think that yeah. people are just being pushed to the edge of their capacity. It's one thing to manage the day-to-day -day inconveniences that life graces all of us with. But then on top of that, to be dealing with some of these catastrophic events is enough really to, to push anybody over the edge. Um, from an employer perspective, again, remember, you can't fix everything, but there are some things that you can do. And I, I like to reference a, a great partner of ours, Medi Spies, who says, make sure that you're giving mental health a voice so that you're speaking about it in the right way as it relates to crushing the stigma. Make sure that you're placing equal value on mental health that you do on physical health. So if you offer uh, quote unquote sick days and the assumption is that those are related to when you're physically ill, mm -hmm. make sure to communicate that they can be mental health days as well. Um, if you're participating in a breast cancer walk, where are there opportunities to promote national suicide awareness or uh, mental health month coming up in May? So making sure that you're placing value there. And lastly is being vigilant. And that I think goes, Julie, to your question. What is it that you should look for? In a lot of cases, people will tell you that they're, that they're not okay that they're struggling. So just listening, I think, mm -hmm. is, uh, is important. Recognizing people that are typically uh, very punctual, responsible, turnaround time um, on projects where they may not be acting themselves. Um, I think it's sometimes the little, it's the little things, the nuances, yes. any, any changes need to be. And again, these are things we're asking our supervisor to be paying attention to. Exactly. And yeah. I, I typically you would say changes in physical appearance 
However, <laughs> there are a lot of my coworkers that I might not even recognize these days with some of the changes in facial hair, for example, the casual ball cap, maybe or maybe not washing your hair, hashtag guilty. Um, so, so that one, I think you certainly can just use your best judgment, but making sure that you are paying attention, encouraging your managers to pay attention, to listen, and to avoid the tendency to ignore some of the things that, that you see because you're fearful of not knowing what to say or how to handle those situations. Um, know the resources that are available, know the policies in place at, at the company, making sure that, that your employees and your managers do so that you can get the help in the hands of the people that need it when they need it, I think is really important. And I think too that it, it's worth recognizing that the generation piece here is huge. I mean, there's a stigma in the workplace having to do with mental health that's been there for a long time. And, you know, I, I think to some extent that will change with time. But knowing that some people aren't going to be willing and able to have those conversations. And I think it's tied to generation. Um, and I think employers need to manage the workforce with this at the top of their mind. Um, consideration for these folks, compassion, find out how they're coping. I thought your examples were great. They need to be re you know, reaching out, having those conversations beyond the survey questions, but looking at you know, boomers, for example, they're going to want to be at work. They, you know, and, and because they're at higher risk right now, we probably need to be encouraging them to work remotely if they can, mm -hmm. kind of as a precautionary measure. Then you're kind of looking at the Gen X. This is our sandwich generation. These folks are right now probably supporting parents and children. They're juggling everything, probably under the same roof. And working remotely probably would be a help to them. So reaching out and being flexible as an employer and, and supporting them with that. And then on the flip side, millennials, which we know are taking up a significant percentage of the workforce right now, they have very different needs at work. This group has taken a financial hit, a lot of job loss, reduced hours. And on the mental health front, they are the most impacted by the loss of this social action, social interaction that I talked about a minute ago. So we want to make sure that we're helping this generation get back to work. And Julie, um, just to touch on, on the millennial aspect, you know, we, we gave some daunting statistics as right. it relates to EAPs and that we're not seeing a significant uptick in, in utilization. And so I wanted to touch on, on that a little bit specific to millennials. I, I think part of the challenge with the traditional EAP, besides the stigma that is attached mm -hmm. to EAP, is they like going to the principal's office. They were originally put in place to address alcoholism at work. So <laughs> they didn't necessarily birth out of a place of genuine care and, and concern. Compassion, of course, yeah. certainly they have evolved to include a wealth of resources. Some of the challenges though are if you do finally find the phone number, make the phone call, you don't always get a person on the phone. You get transferred oftentimes to somebody that can help find a provider. And 
in a lot of cases, it does require another step, which is to look at the list of providers that are in network and then find somebody. Um, A lot of them these days are offering virtual visits, which I do think is helpful. But from a traditional EAP perspective, the one that's often included with voluntary benefits, for example, it requires a lot of steps. And when you're struggling and suffering, and it maybe wasn't the easiest thing to do to pick up the phone to begin with, you want to make sure that it's as easy as possible. And what we're seeing are a couple things. One, some standalone EAP offerings that are offering more of a concierge or boutique type of service as well as some organizations that are offering virtual therapy, virtual counseling, where all you have to do is reach out via phone, via text, via the, uh, the online portal, and you're immediately connected with somebody for support. And that support can vary from more of a behavioral coach all the way up to a psychiatrist in some cases. And the fact that you don't have to get transferred to another provider if you need a different level of support, I think is helpful in terms of folks sticking with the care plan. Um, there's also just a wealth of different apps and resources that are available for free, um, as well as some that are employer-sponsored that really can help employees in terms of building resiliency, um, practicing other coping techniques, mindfulness, meditation, breathing, um, and training your brain, right? So we talk about mental health from an emotional perspective capacity a lot of times, but there are other aspects too, right? So it's more than just feeling sad and anxious sometimes. It can also impact your cognitive function in the form of memory and focus, which directly correlate with being able to perform at work. I saw a list the other day too that I thought was amazing. When you're talking about these apps and online therapy um, resources that are out there, this one was actually, it had compiled compiled this list and it was broken down by race, by gender, um, language. So it recognizes that whole diversity piece and it makes you know, it, it's so much more accessible. If you've got a language barrier, it's even harder to pick up the phone and reach out and ask for help. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so... So really, you know, encourage folks to, to look for something that's, that's local um, and that's going to line up with, the, again, that individual in the workplace that needs help. So really kind of be specific on that one. So what else? I mean, the Gen, Gen Z, I want to say that that's my Canadian kicking in, but Gen Z, <laughs> sorry, the ages 18 to 23. I mean, this, this is an amazing group right now. They're very much at risk. You know, can you imagine right now being the one who's graduating from college and looking for a job? It's a little bit mind-blowing. And we throw in that piece we talked about a minute ago, the student loans, kind of makes just for a very anxious generation. So looking forward, the workplace that's really going to embrace the well-being for this generation is really going to be long-term successful. Um, And spinning off of that, the other area that really concerns me on a deep level is the children. So all of these folks that are under 18 right now and looking at the long-term disruption that we, that we know is here, you know, immediate spike in ER visits, prescriptions that are being written for, for kids under 18, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, 
suicide, homelessness, the racial and economic um, differences that we're seeing are very pronounced. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. We know, we know that for this group, this is going to play out over their lifetime. So something else that we've seen a lot of probably in the last 30 to 45 days with the, the whole conversations about the vaccine um, being headline news. So if we're talking about the effects of the pandemic, what are the effects of the vaccine? So it, can we actually say that the vaccine is a stress reliever um, or the fact that we're offering a vaccine, does that actually create another stressor? So I'm hearing all the time from my, my clients trying to figure out what's the best approach to their workforce. Do they have, you know, what if they have an employee who doesn't want to take the vaccine? That one's popping up a lot. Do they require it? Do they need to have it in order to come back to work? Um, how do they manage a request for accommodation? So they don't want to take the vaccine. They want to continue to work from home. That's happening all the time. And what kind of precedent as an employer are you setting if you start allowing people to do that? Again, going to always throw out there that HR piece. Be consistent with whatever you do. It is absolutely ripe for discrimination claims right now. But the whole distribution process um, is taking a lot longer than we thought. A lot of COVID fatigue, we know that. People are tired, they wanna get back to normal. Kids wanna go back to school, they wanna get back into sports. We all wanna travel. And we, just the ability to be able to go and get groceries without a mask and hand sanitizer on, in every bin of your car. Um, how, Cheryl, how do you see the balance between this fatigue that we're talking about and this promised optimism with the vaccine? How is this gonna play out on the mental health front? Oof. That's a big question. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I think um, recognizing people are coming from different perspectives. So while the vaccine might be a relief and a source of optimism for many, it, it could be a source of stress and contention for some as well. Um, I like that word contention. I think that's that's spot on. Yeah, and I think from an employer perspective, this is a scenario where you do have to look at the greater good. Um, and from a business operating perspective, what is going to be in the best interest of the majority of employees? Um, you mentioned travel, I, and I coming from somebody that, that used to, to travel quite a bit, um, it's one thing to choose to put yourself at risk to go on a vacation to a tropical island. It's another thing to be told you have to travel from a work perspective where you don't feel like you have a choice. Um, I think we're gonna run into some challenges there and how do we address folks that maybe do start traveling outside of the country? Um, it is, I think it's going to be, um, something and unfortunately that many of us are, are having to kind of learn as we go and and work through I think certainly being consistent um, even though things are going to change rapidly to, to make sure that you're effectively communicating often and frequently as as things are changing especially from a policy perspective I know that as it relates to the vaccine, right now because everybody doesn't have access it's mm. a moot point but at some point in time 
it, it will certainly come into play. And the question will have to be, is it essential for certain individuals to be at work to perform their job? Is it causing a significant um, inconvenience for others? And will really have to be addressed on a, on a case-by-case basis for sure. I think that um, continuing to talk about it, continuing to maintain social distancing and sanitation practices, I, I don't think those are gonna go away anytime right. soon. Um, so, so are employers actually doing enough I mean, if you look beyond sort of that whole idea of throwing an EAP at, at, at employees and thinking that you've checked that box as an employer, add a little bit of wishful thinking in there. But really, who's actually responsible for owning the mental health of employees? I know we said that, you know, nobody can fix everything, but, you know, as an HR professional, I, I'm thinking the question of accountability is always a fun question. Some would say HR is actually responsible. Some might go back to that supervisor conversation that I had a minute ago, and, but some people would argue that it's actually not even a work issue. What are your thoughts? I'm kind of thinking that it falls to leadership. I really think it's a hands-on, all hands on deck kind of approach, right? Because if you, if you think about, we, we've talked about a lot of different aspects, certainly, Employers have a role to play in terms of looking at the resources that they're offering to support employees. From a leadership perspective, that is going to dictate the culture, right? From an HR perspective, you're looking at the policies in place that certainly contribute to an environment and a culture that where employees feel like it's okay to speak up, to ask for help, and to access those resources. And from a peer perspective, like we talked about before, being vigilant, um, I think that piece falls, falls on everybody for sure. So what are the key messages? I know you mentioned communication, which I think is vitally important. You know, say it, say it again, say it in a different way. And so I love, I love doing this as an HR person, but if we had a group of CEOs in the room right now, what would we tell them? And again, if you're in that HR role and you're blessed with this opportunity, what would you want to say? How can, how can we help sort of craft this message? I think we're looking really at an opportunity for employers to invest in their people and to inspire them. Um, and I say inspire instead of motivate because when you're motivating someone to do something, you're, it's often extrinsic, right? And I think if you're inspiring them, then it's something intrinsic, right? You're encouraging them to connect with something internal that allows them to, to be able to, to do whatever it is that that we're looking to do, whether that be being the best version of themselves right now and doing whatever it takes to, to get there. I think from an employer perspective, balancing priorities, right? I, I mean, part of your responsibility is to continue operating at an effective level so that everybody can maintain maintain their jobs and their financial right. well-being for sure. Um, 
but at the same time, balance those priorities and, and maybe move mental health to the top, top of the list. Right. <laughs> um, we've talked about the business case um, and certainly the impact where it goes beyond that, right? Um, and we we didn't really touch on as much kind of the the connection between mental health, physical health, financial well-being. It's it's all related. So if we think of mental health as kind of that underlying driver of well-being as a whole, I think that's that's certainly helpful. Julie, what am I missing from a, a priority perspective? Well, I think probably one of the, the things that's critical is people need to just kind of take a moment to pause. I mean, I think just we know that stress is out there, and I think just the ability to sort of step back and pause to focus is a good thing. We know what the stats are saying. We know there's an increase. Um, the workplace really needs to be that place that employees can get support. So those conversations about mental health have to become part of those everyday conversations. It needs to be part of, again, those managers and supervisors talking to employees about performance and well-being. That's the whole conversation. That's the whole experience. So we've known that, you know, for decades, what, you know, when you have an employee that's experiencing issues at home, you know that that's going to, you know, creep into their work performance and challenges at work. You're going to see it in their attendance. You're going to see it in their appearance, the things you mentioned before, and it will impact their performance. So really from a company perspective, the company has every reason in the world to really care about that whole person because that really is your bottom line. So the stigma thing too, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, so it's not necessarily what you say sometimes, but how you say it. And generation matters. When you're looking at your leadership team that's in place right now and realizing that they are, in most cases, the boomers, um, they're also that generation that doesn't want to talk about this. So you really do need to appeal to your leadership to go outside their comfort zone and, and really start having those difficult conversations. You know, millennials, 70% of the workforce by 2025, that there's gonna be a massive shift there. So we're gonna see boomers leaving at, at great rates and those millennials moving up into those management and um, leadership positions. So I, I, I'm hoping, I'm very hopeful that that stigma is going to can I say age out? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That that would be um, that would be a great day. I, I again. I we want speaking of being inspired. We want you guys leaving here today feeling inspired. And so on that note, remember to give yourselves credit for for all of the other things that you're doing. Um, even if you may not have thought about it in the context of mental health, I know that many employers, speaking of priorities, are really focusing on doing better when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And if you think about it, that is a huge element of mm. mental health for a significant portion of your workforce, right? If if you're creating a positive environment where it's easier for people to show up at work as themselves and feel that sense of belonging, alleviate some of 
the stress and anxiety from that aspect, that's a mental health solution. Mm-hmm. So I think it's something that um, maybe you didn't think about it in that context before, but that is a critical component of, of addressing mental health when we think about some of the drivers. Some of the others that we talked about today seems like forever ago, but um, the financial health component. Mm-hmm. You may already have a 401k program in place. You may have been thinking about offering student loan payback programs or tuition reimbursement support. If you had to pick something, I would strongly encourage uh, folks to think about individual counseling, really having an opportunity to meet individuals where they are. And for many employees that fall outside of the super top tier of wealthy people, that is a service that otherwise probably isn't available to them. So um, I think there, there's, there's definitely room to, to, again, address mental health by addressing some of, of those stressors. And then um, certainly from a physical health component, right, related to COVID and beyond, helping make sure that folks are not delaying care, that it's convenient for them to get care through things like telemedicine, for example, um, that if you are looking at putting measures in place for people to come back to work, that they feel safe and comfortable doing so. Um, all of those things, while related to physical health, do contribute to, to mental well-being as well. So, so kind of trying to kind of put all this together. I mean, if you're, if I'm that HR professional sitting there right now, and I do have the benefit of, of you know, my leadership team's ear, you know, how, how, what, what do we say? What, what can we suggest that, that you guys should be doing? So really suggest that your employees write a letter to the CEO. I know this seems a little bit corny, but I, if you were in, remember when you got that, college essay prompt or, you know, on the, you, you start the, start the conversation, um, ask your folks how they are doing, um, really, really dig deep on that one. And it's, it's over and above making an EAP or an app available, you know, surveys are great, but they rely on participate participation. They rely on honesty and the ability to take the information that people are giving you and do something about it. Um, so how do you create this meaningful dialogue? So what can leaders be doing? So, you know, actionable items, be proactive, find out what is working for your population. This is a huge one. Don't, don't promise something and not deliver it. I mean, this is, you know, years and years of doing surveys and you can do the greatest survey. You can have great participation. You get great feedback and you do nothing visible with it. And the next time you don't understand why nobody fills out the survey. So don't promise and not deliver. That's, that's critically important. As Shira said, know your resources, be thoughtful about what you're doing. So don't just throw resources at them. Um, Training, the supervisor manager piece, so many shifts in that conversation right now. And we need to make sure that we're making them, you know, we're setting them up for success. Um, Definitely revisit your corporate policies on everything from recruiting to performance management, your process for promoting people. Um, One statistic that's out there right now, which is a little disturbing 
is because of the, the childcare challenges and the homeschooling situation we've got right now, we are seeing more men able to return to the workplace than women. And I think we're actually going to see um, that impact on compensation. We're going to see that impact on promotions. And I think potentially that gender gap that's there might actually widen. So we'd throw it out there for leadership and and HR professionals to sort of keep this in the back of your mind and make sure that you've got that, you know, internal and external um, equality that, that is so critical there. And this has to be sort of a parting thought, but make culture a priority. Um, nurture that idea of belonging. Uh, mental health really, you know, hinges on that, that belonging piece. And I think that's incredibly important. So, Shira, let me throw one thing to your way. Mental health is shifting. So the whole idea of, of business is shifting out there. And I think, you know, mental health is emerging as one of these pillars um, in the whole healthcare, you know, world. So what, what's your perspective on how this is shifting on that front? How important is mental health being in the future? I would say this. I... I... I don't think it's it's a trend. I think that not only is a commitment to supporting mental health in the workplace here to stay, but I do. I think it's going to become just like employers offer healthcare, voluntary benefits, 401k. I think it's going to be, be at that level in terms of an expectation because it is just as critical to employee productivity and, and performance and, and total well-being as as any of the others. So I think we'll see an, an interesting evolution of solutions in this space and lots of variety, lots of choices, lots of different ways to address um, some of the needs of employees and. Um, would encourage you guys to, to be open-minded and mm-hmm. to think about what makes the most sense for, for your population. And um, with that, because Julie and I are, are quite the talkers, I, I think we, we may have left a minute or two to, to take a couple questions. Oh, this is a good one that I'm glad you're here for. Oh, goodness, what... How can HR influence a leadership team that doesn't recognize the value of investing in mental health? Great question. Um, and I do think that's a challenge that a lot of companies are, are struggling with right now, and certainly a lot of HR teams. Um, I would definitely say start with sort of the data. You know, the leadership teams know how your leadership team is going to respond. And a lot of times they do want to see that business case first. So get the data, make your business case, but use that data to sort of build a, a, a complete case. So address the emotional and the human aspects of, of mental health. You want to stress the importance of supporting that whole person. So beyond just the employee, make sure that they know that, you know, the work piece is only a portion. If you make it personal, talking to your leaders, anybody that's sort of resistant to this idea, I think this pandemic has allowed leadership, even 
generational leadership that was kind of keeping this at arm's length, they've seen it impact their family and their friends and their children, you know, from job loss and illness and, and in some cases death. They hopefully, you know, and I'm not saying hopefully, but it's touched everybody in some way. So appeal to that side and, and let them know that, you know, it, mental health really does touch everyone, regardless to your hierarchy in the organization, your community, your race, what language you speak, where you live. You know, by definition, this really is a pandemic. It's a global issue, and we all need to be part of this conversation and the solution. Great question. What do you got for me? Well, here's a good one. So as an HR manager, how do you make sure that you are recognizing symptoms? And how do you start the conversation to make sure you connect the employee with the appropriate support and resources? I'm gonna oversimplify it. Okay. If you walked past somebody that was lying on the floor, bleeding, screaming for help, would you stop? Right. I, 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 would. Think, <laughs> I think most of us would. And I think that um, when we see somebody struggling and suffering from a mental health perspective, we talked about some of the signs and symptoms to look for. It is equally, if not more important that we acknowledge that person, that we see them and that we have the ability to get the resources to them and that our employees and our managers also know what those resources are, know what the policies are, and are able to get those folks help. Um, we, talk, we also talked about, I referenced from our friend Benny Spies in a world without suicide voice value and vigilance as it relates to crushing the stigma. We've got some really great resources for you guys here, one of which is a stigma-free blueprint. So um, definitely check that out just in the interest of time. Actually, here's one more question I'd love to throw your way. How do you suggest leaders with a diverse employee population address mental health in an inclusive way? Very top of mind right now. Absolutely. I think we touched on a couple aspects here, some of which is if you look at it from the stressors, recognizing that everybody is experiencing stress differently and has different drivers, different things in their life that are causing them stress. So offering choice as it relates to perks and benefits, I think would be one opportunity. I also... I, I recently saw a really good list of resources um, that looks at breaking down therapists, for example, by race, gender, um, language, so that folks can access help um, and talk to somebody that there's some similarity there. I think right. oftentimes um, that's that's certainly helpful to um, to alleviating some of those barriers. And that might be something to, to look into is, is not just offering a list of in-network providers, but in addition, making sure that, that there is diversity there also. Yeah, great, great advice. 
Well, we're wrapping it up here. So thank you for chatting with me today. Always love chatting with you, um, sharing your thoughts and your guidance. And thank you to everyone who joined our conversation. And as we've noted throughout our session today, these are definitely challenging times, um, not an issue that's going to be solved overnight. Uh, but please know that One Digital's uh, strategic well-being and workforce consultants are here. And we, were, we are more than happy to share our expert guidance and support as you navigate through the next few months um, and plan for the new year and in the upcoming years. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out, learn more about what we have and check the resources section um, for more information. Once again, I would like to remind everyone that you can view this advisory session and past sessions on our website. So stay hey, stay safe. I, if I can get the words out, healthy and stay connected with your family, your friends and your coworkers. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.